Welcome, church, to the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you, Sister Mary, for that delightful hymn. I hope you're ready to receive from the Lord this morning, church. We have the distinct privilege to welcome to the pulpit this morning. Uh, um, uh, what's that dude's name? You are now tuned in to the Sermon Archives of William R. Horn. Kingdom Dreamer Productions. (laughs) Welcome back to the Sermon Archives of William R. Horn. That's me. Follow me on Twitter at William R. Horn, H-O-R-N-E, spell it correctly. Let's chop it up on the Twitters. So today, whatever today is, whatever the today you're listening, whatever this episode is, I think it's number nine of season one sermons of days past. Uh, This one is kind of a break is where sermons start to change a little bit as I transitioned in life, but the context is still the same on this one. This one comes from... October 20th, 2013, um, right after my birthday. This one is on Christian hospitality, and it is back at my church in Springfield, Ohio. However, this is the return to Springfield, Ohio. I had just moved to Chicago in July of that year, right after our last episode sermon, um, and came back. So I moved to Chicago to start a seminary at Trinity Evangelical and came back to visit on a, on a fall break and to preach a sermon. Um, so yeah, this one is Christian hospitality, but it's a, a walk through all the meal occurrences that Jesus has in the gospel of Luke, or at least eight of them, which I think is close to all of them. Um, so focus on Christian hospitality. I'm going to leave on the front, uh, a man, Simbone, Pastor Simbone, who's a dear friend of mine, spiritual mentor. He's the a senior pastor at my church in Springfield, Ohio. He has a little introduction on here. I'm just going to leave it on. Um, miss you, Sim, if you're listening. Hope to come back and fellowship soon and maybe preach again soon at my church. Uh, it's a dear community to me. Uh, and this was kind of the, the return after transition. Um, again, Kingdom Dreamers, you can support us on patreon.com forward slash Kingdom Dreamer. Uh, you can get your merch at kingdomdreamer.com. Support the movement, support our content creation, support my ministry in particular uh, outside of my pastoral ministry. Um, yeah, so I appreciate it. Other thing, context again matters. And in this context, you can preach an hour and that's cool. So this one's on a little longer end, but um, a, a good sermon nonetheless. I may be biased as is myself. I'll let you be the judge. So let's jump in. This is. Christian hospitality, a walk through Jesus's meal occurrences in Luke, in my church, in Springfield, Ohio, from October 20th, 2013. It's exciting about what God's up to, isn't it? Are you excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Hallelujah. Amen. He is worthy of our praise. I'm telling you, sometimes it's hard to get you to sit down, isn't it? Amen. Well, you know, first of all, I, want to th- I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. We went, our team went to evangelize at a, uh, a revival in Paintsville, Kentucky this past week on Monday and Tuesday. And I just want to tell you what happened. 
Okay, God showed up and showed out. All right, you know, it's, uh, I told him, I said, you know, we usually have about uh, two hour services in Springfield, but we had three hours plus down there. Uh, sometimes we wasn't getting back till midnight, one o'clock in the morning, but that was okay because when God showed up, he showed out like always. So I want you to know this, God has lit a fire under your leadership team at my church, and we are excited about what God's about to do with our church. Amen. And when we say he is worthy of our praise, he alone is worthy of our praise. Well, you know, it's exciting today as I introduce my brother to be bringing the word today. You know, uh, we're in the middle of a five-part series on what? Spiritual warfare. Amen. We're right where we need to be. We talked about the spirit of the python that comes in and just squeezes the life out of us. Then we talked about the tormenting spirits that come in and they try to flip the Christians in and out of the church and they try to torment us and drive us crazy and everything else. And then we talked about how to put on the full armor of God last week so we can stand against the schemes of that enemy when he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Well, you know, what better thing this week is that we take a, a, not necessarily a break, but after all that, then what we're going to do today is we're going to partake in the, in the Lord's Supper. So, you know, what's exciting is God put this message inside of my brother Will. And if you don't know Will, where's Kylie? There's Kylie. Wave your hand. Don't be ashamed. Get your hand up there. Will and Kylie's came all the way from Chicago to, to share this word with us. And if you don't know, Will was our youth pastor for three years. So he's in a seminary now in North Chicago. And God's got a word for him. So let's make Will Horn welcome today. Amen. Amen. All right. Not on, am I? Am I on? Yeah, all right. Y'all don't like tall people, do you? This is messed up. <laughs> so good morning. morning. It's good to be back. Uh, it really hasn't been that long, but it feels like it's been a long time. Um, but it is really good to be back and see, see a lot of people uh, that I know and love. Um, yeah, I'd like to first, before I begin getting into this message, um, just thank you guys for your support and your prayers for Kylie and I um, as we're on a new adventure in Chicago. Um, so we ask you continue to support us and know that uh, God's doing good things up there. Um, I'm coming back spiritually rested, and I feel more in tune, um, so I'm excited to share this message with you today. Um, I'm going to do something a little bit different today, kind of unconventional, and we'll find out if it works. So you guys got to work with me here, all right? Um, I'm steering away from the three points in a poem format of the typical sermon, not that it's bad, but uh, we're going to do more of a story time today, all right? Um, as of late, there's been a lot of things uh, that have been on my mind and my spirit um, concerning the ministry of presence and hospitality. Um, and I'm, uh, I have an opportunity to be part of a group in Chicago called the Mosaic Gathering. And it's, uh, it's a group of diverse people who want to celebrate God's kingdom and the diversity he's made. And we've been talking about um, hospitality. So a few of those leaders have been bringing some uh, things to me that uh, intrigued me, so I had to do some more study, and this is kind of a result of my study. So have you ever thought about the dinner table, where we eat dinner? Now, unfortunately, a lot of the homes in America don't really have a dinner table anymore. We don't sit down and eat together. So some of you guys might not even have a clear picture of what I'm talking about. But the dinner table where we all come around to, to eat at the end of our day, and there's fellowship. We're together. The 
presence of one another. It's not just grab some food and go, but there's something about sitting down with each other. When you slow down and spend time with each other. And how impactful that can be. When you stop thinking about all the things of your day and you just sit down. And you're with each other. And today what I want to do is I want to show you how important this type of thing was to Jesus. Sitting down at a meal and fellowshipping with each other. And see the powerful things that Jesus did when people sat down with them. Just slowed down and ate a meal. There was healing. There was salvation. People became free when they simply ate a meal with Jesus. So there's eight different occurrences of Jesus eating a meal in the Gospel of Luke. That's where I want to stay today is in the Gospel of Luke, but the entire Gospel of Luke. Um, so I'm going to be dealing with, you sounded excited when Sim was talking about, oh, we had three-hour services down there. Well, this could be four or five hours. So if you sound excited for that, you won't mind, right? But <laughs> there's eight occurrences of Jesus eating a meal in the Gospel of Luke, and I want to focus there. And we're going to walk through those eight different meals in kind of a story-like format with a few comments. And I want you to be able to make some connections and see what Jesus is doing through all these meals because they're quite similar. So I need you to turn on your story imaginations. You start picturing the scriptures in a new way today and just allow it to be a story. I'm doing this, one, because I couldn't find a way to cut out any of scripture. I was just mind blown by how they all flowed together and what they did. And two, I want you to be able to see the Bible as... We often talk about it like it's some rule book and instructions, but this is the story of God's redemption plan for us, for his people. And I want you to see that story unplaying in just Jesus' meals today. So let me pray before I get into this. Uh, Lord, I come to you just uh, humbled and asking that you would allow me to depict these stories correctly and uh, I submit to your work, Holy Spirit, and I pray that everybody in this congregation would submit to that work and uh, see what you're doing uh, in your scriptures, what you did uh, as Jesus, and uh, what you're doing today. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so the first story I want to go to is in Luke 5, starting in verse 27. And there will be a lot of turning around. We'll stay in Luke, but the big thing, if you can't keep up with the scripture, I want you to just hear this story. All right, so I want you to be in tune. Don't zone out on me. That's not cool. We're not doing that, all right? You're here. All right? You all ready? Okay. So Luke 5 is where the first meal starts, or the first meal we see Jesus eat in Luke. And the context of this is in Luke 4, Jesus had just gone through the temptations in the wilderness, which we've heard about and things like that. And he's preaching in the synagogues in Nazareth, right? which is like a hometown to him, and he's preaching there. They hand him a scroll. He unrolls it, and it's Isaiah, right, the book of Isaiah. And he goes to chapter 61, the first two verses he reads, and he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what Jesus said. He's saying, this is my mission. This is what I came to do. And they weren't feeling that. They didn't think he was the Messiah yet. Right? They didn't understand. So this just happened. And now we're going to go to the meal. Luke 5, starting in verse 27. 
After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, if you know anything about tax collectors today, they were hated. And most time, for good reason, they were corrupt, right? They took money for themselves, and often they had to because they didn't really make a lot of money. So, tax collector named Levi. Do we know who Levi is? All right, he's a tax collector, but who does he turn into? What's his other name? Matthew, right? This is the disciple Matthew, we'll find out later. But for now, he's Levi. Follow me, Jesus said to Levi, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged saw them eating together. Where'd I go? Yeah. Belonged to their sects, to the disciples. Why? So they're asking Jesus this, right? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And it cuts off there. So we see Jesus' first meal, he's eating with sinners, or what the Jews and these Pharisees, the religious people of the Jews that knew the law, they saw them as excluded people. They're not part of us, they're sinners, right? We don't want to be with them. And Jesus is eating a meal with them. And he talks about the kingdom of God being a place where the sick are healed. And now we move on to our next meal in Luke chapter 7. And just before this meal, Jesus confirms his mission again, just like he did in Luke 4. John the Baptist is going around, and he's supposed to be the guy who's bringing the word before Jesus comes, right? He's the forerunner is what they call him. And his disciples go to Jesus, and they're like, are you this Messiah we've been waiting for? And this is how Jesus responds. He says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Sounds familiar, right? To what we just read. And now we go to the meal in verse 36 of chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. So picture this scene here. Jesus got invited over to this high roller in the religious realm over to his house for dinner. He goes over there, and this woman shows up, a sinful woman, shows up with a jar of perfume, and it doesn't appear she's been invited. She just kind of rolls in because she knew Jesus was there, right? Which is kind of awkward. You have people just come in your house like that. So that might have been a problem too, but that's a different story. But she just comes in because she heard Jesus was there. Let's continue the story. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Jesus answered him, and it's funny how he answered him because he wasn't speaking to him. Jesus just heard him or knew what he was saying anyhow. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher. Then Jesus says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is a day's wage, and the other owed 50. 
Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he just forgave them both of the debts. Now, which of them do you think loved him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as she has had a great love shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. So something powerful happens at another meal with Jesus, right? This sinful woman, who many speculate was a prostitute, came in and was washing Jesus' feet with her tears. That seems like an odd picture because that would not happen here in America today. Nobody's washing anybody's feet, really, right? We think that's nasty taboo. But in Jesus' culture, you walked around in sandal-type things on dirt roads, so your feet got dirty, right? And if you went to a dinner, there was supposed to be water for you to wash your feet. That was just the polite thing to do at a dinner. And this Pharisee, I guess, didn't give Jesus water for his feet. And he didn't really greet him, right, because he didn't give him a kiss, which was part of that culture, too. And then this woman comes in, and she does the very things the Pharisee doesn't do, right? She washes his feet with her tears and perfume, and she kisses her feet, his feet. So in this meal, Jesus is presenting a counter thought to this world, right? That she's excluded, she's unclean, we don't want her here. But Jesus accepts her warmly, right? And she's forgiven much. And you can see this love expressed. So there's this kingdom mindset that starts coming into play that's opposed to the world, and the Pharisees don't get this, right? So let's continue in our meals, and you'll start to see all these connecting points come together. And we're going to go to Luke 9. Luke 9, and I'm going to start in verse 1, but the actual meal doesn't start till verse 10. But I want you to see something, once again, that happens before this meal. So starting in verse 1, pay attention to what Jesus asked the disciples. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out, went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, note what Jesus is asking them to look for. He's asking them to look for hospitality. He's saying, you go to the cities, if they welcome you, you, you stay there, you heal them, you preach the good news. If they don't, just leave. Don't have anything to do with them. He wants them to look for hospitality. So he's continuing to talk in this mindset of this kingdom that brings outsiders in because the disciples are clearly outsiders. They're just going to villages, and they're supposed to be welcomed. So you continue to see this as a meal, is that Jesus is making a big deal about the Christian or people who want to be part of the kingdom of God welcoming outsiders and strangers and people that we don't like and the poor and the crippled. And he tells the disciples to look for the same. And then we go to verse 10, and this is where the meal occurrence starts. 
When the apostles had returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them, and they withdrew by themselves to a a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it, and they followed him. Now note what Jesus does here with a crowd following him, right? These people just keep bugging him, but watch what he does. He welcomed them. He welcomed them, and he spoke about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. He welcomes them. And he could have been justified to say, like, leave. We're trying to go rest right now. Just leave me alone. But he welcomes them, and he talks to them about this kingdom, and he heals the ones that need healed. And it says, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. And he replied to him, you give them something to eat. Don't you love that? Jesus just like, nah, you give them something to eat. Don't tell them to go. Like, um, all right. Well, listen, Jesus, all we got is five loaves of bread and two fish. I don't think it's going to work, right? He's saying, unless we go and we buy a ton of food. And then Jesus commands this. He says, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Now that sounds familiar, right? Sounds kind of like the Lord's Supper. Gave thanks and broke them. And this is the feeding of the 5,000. I guess I skipped that part. So he's feeding 5,000 men, and then there's women and children there too. So this is like hospitality large scale, like 10, 15,000 people. Let's feed them. That doesn't happen anywhere. So he has them all sit down, and then... After he gave thanks, he distributed it to the people. He had the disciples give it out. They all ate, and they were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So a very familiar story, but I want you to hear some other things. There. I want you to note that first he welcomed them, welcomed them, right? He didn't need to do that. This is a lot of people. He doesn't need to welcome them. If, Jesus, if in the scriptures Jesus said, no, go away, we need to be time, we wouldn't, nobody would about that, right? He, he could do that, but he doesn't. He welcomes them. Two, he satisfies them. They all leave filled, like literally filled with food. They're not hungry anymore, and they've heard about this kingdom, and they're filled with these new things. They're healed, and three, no one's excluded. Now, in 10 to 15,000 people, it's kind of easy to exclude somebody, right? But Jesus doesn't exclude anybody. They all get satisfied, Sits them down in groups of 50, and they all eat. Let's continue on the next meal. we got to keep moving so you can see the story unfold. Luke 10, starting in verse 38, and this is where Jesus eats with Mary and Martha. Luke 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So she has hospitality. She's opening her home. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had to make. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Jesus here is continuing to build this mindset of a kingdom that's different. He says, it's not about all the things, right? Hospitality is not about the food. It's not about the place. 
but it's about being with each other. Mary is doing the right thing because she's just there to be with Jesus. They don't care about all the exteriors, but Martha does. So he's saying hospitality. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the setup. It's about being with each other. And you see these similarities in all the meals. It's, there's this presence that they're talking about. It's not just about the food. It's not just about the setup, but the presence. And now we're going to move on to the next meal in Luke 11. And he's eating with a Pharisee again. And in this one, things get interesting. They get kind of fiery, so I want you to see this story clearly. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him over for dinner, so he went and reclined at the table. So Jesus was just doing more teaching and healing, and a Pharisee invites him over. So he's like, all right, I'm coming over to eat. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed Jesus did not first wash before he ate the meal. Now, I want you to know this is a little bit bigger deal than your mom yelling at you because you didn't wash before you ate dinner, right? Like, you do need to wash before your dinner because that's nasty if you're not doing that. But in the Jewish culture, not doing this was sin, right? Their dietary laws were very strict, and unclean things was, I mean, that's like hell. You don't do that. You wash before you, and Jesus doesn't do that. So let me continue. He says, then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the insides of you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now is for what is in the inside. Be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Now notice what Jesus brings it back to. He brings it back to the excluded people. Be generous to the poor. And everything will be clean with you. He says, true cleanliness, it doesn't have to do with me washing my hands. It has to do with me living right. That I am seeking these excluded people and showing them the love of Christ and truly living how a Christian is supposed to. Even though Christian doesn't really exist yet. Jesus just stepped on the scene. But he continues, right? It, it doesn't stop here. He actually gets even more bold and it gets even crazier. He goes, woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint rue, and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So essentially he's talking about paying your tithe. He's saying, you pay your tithe all the time, but you don't seek justice for the people who are being oppressed. You don't love God. It doesn't matter if you're not doing both. And then he keeps going, right? He says, woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue, the respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. And for the sake of time, I want to skip to 52, which is another one of his woes. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you're hindering those others from entering. So he's calling out, the, these are really weird statements that nobody, nobody goes to you and says, woe to you, like that doesn't happen, right? But here he's like rebuking them. And he's rebuking them for their prideful attitude that they want status, right? They want to be in the high spots in the synagogue. They want people to recognize them when they're rolling around the marketplace. And then he says they're like unmarked graves, meaning you don't Recognize a grave if it's not marked. If it doesn't have a tombstone, you don't know it's a grave. You don't know it's there. He says, you're like unmarked graves. You look like you're alive, but you're really dead on the inside. 
and people just walking over you and they don't notice that you're really dead, right? I mean, these are harsh things. Jesus isn't playing with them at all. He's saying you're full of sin, and this is what else you do. You don't, you're not only dead, but you're taking away the key to knowledge from everybody else. You act like you've entered the kingdom of God, like you're better, but you haven't even entered, and then you're taking away knowledge from everybody else because you've misinterpreted the scriptures, you're making unnecessary laws, you're doing all these things so nobody else can come to the kingdom of God. Everything you're doing is wrong. So he, what he's doing, he's condemning the Pharisees for essentially creating excluded people. The way they act makes people that they can't have the knowledge of God because they're not good enough. They're not part of us, right? Or I'm higher up than them. I have greater status. And they're not part of us. So the way these Pharisees are living automatically make people excluded and not part of the group. They can't come to the kingdom table, right? Because they're not good enough. Jesus is calling them out on all of it, right? So the very way these Pharisees were living created marginalized people. You connecting with the meal so far? Marginalized people. You're smart people. You start to get it. But I want to put a few more stories on top of that to make it even more clear. So as these meals continue, they begin to rise in importance, or at least I think they are. Uh, and we're going to go to Luke 14. Luke 14, starting in verse 1. And as these meals continue to rise in importance, they get more and more important to recognize what Jesus is doing, how this kingdom actually works, and what hospitality actually means. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, which he's done a few times we've seen, he was being watched carefully. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of the body, Jesus asked the Pharisee and the experts in law, he says, is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now, Jesus isn't asking because he doesn't know. He's already broken this law like six times before this for the Pharisees. So it's pretty obvious he knows how they're going to react. But they remain silent. So he takes hold of the man and he heals him and he sends him away. And then he asks them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you immediately pull them out? And they had nothing to say. So the Pharisees appear they have, that they've invited Jesus over, and it, it looks like they've set him up. We don't know this for sure, but it looks like they had this sick guy there because they set him up to see him do it again, to break the Sabbath law, right? And Jesus knows this, right? He's Jesus, so he, obviously he knows it because he's Jesus. But he's already broken the Sabbath law like five or six times before this, so he knows how they're going to react, and he knows what this dinner is about. But he still goes, he still eats, and he still heals the man who is excluded, who is nasty, who is not part of them. And now we're going to get into the meal, the actual meal part. So he's going into the meal, this happens, and Jesus has three things to say. He says something about the guest at the meal, he says something about the host of the meal, and then he talks about a bigger situation uh, with the Jews specifically here, but it applies to us as well. So continuing, he said, or when he noticed the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you might have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will have to come and say to you, give this person your seat, and then you'll be humiliated, and you'll have to go to the least important spot. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. 
Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus notices how the guests are acting. In these type of dinners, you had to sit as close as you could to the host, and you were better, right? So they're all kind of like fighting for the top spot, rushing there. And he's saying, it doesn't work that way. My kingdom's different, right? I don't care about status. You need to come into the kingdom humble. Sit at the lowest spot. And then he goes with the classic, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then after calling them out, he turns to the host, and he has something to say to him too. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brother or sister, your relatives, or your rich neighbor. If you do, then they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Sound familiar? Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. So this is huge to define Christian hospitality, right? It's, it's easy to invite over your family and your friends and even that rich neighbor because you might get something out of that, right? And he's saying, no, this is all a game of obligation, right? If I invite you over, you got to invite me over and vice versa, and we'll go on forever. That's what it is. It's not hospitality. It's a game of status. He's saying, don't do that. If you're going to hold a lunch or a dinner, why don't you invite over the people who can't repay you? Why don't you invite over the poor, the blind, the excluded person? And we got to question ourselves, how often are we inviting over that other person in our life? Right? It's easy for us to be with family and friends. And not that that's bad. You need to be with family and friends and things like that. But we just naturally act inclusive. It's our group. Nobody else is allowed in the way that we eat our meals, the way we act. And this dinner continues. Jesus doesn't stop there. He's got another parable for him. And this one's kind of a bigger picture one. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied to him, a certain man was preparing a banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field, so I, I must go see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another one said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported it to his master. And then the owner of this house became angry, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room in your house. There's still room here. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads in the country lanes and compel them to come in so my house is full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And this, this is a powerful parable where Jesus is revealing what the kingdom's actually like. He's saying there's a lot of people who think they've been invited who hold themselves higher, who do the good things. I go to church, I do these things. And he's talking specifically to Jews here, but it applies to us very much so. They think they've been invited. They think they're going to heaven. They think they're part of this kingdom. But when it comes down to it, everything's ready. They're just making excuses. They're not really part of this. So he's like, all right, those people who had the invitation, who thought they were going, because you notice here, 
in that type of banquet setting, you hold a banquet, there's like a pre-invitation, and there's like RSVP, you know those type of things, right? So that these people said they were going to go. They planned on going to this, and they made excuses like, and today it'd be like, I just bought a house, I'm trying to go check it out, I just bought my new whip, I need to go try it out, right? They're talking about these things, making excuses, and they don't show up. So the master goes and he gets all the marginalized people, the excluded people, and he says, that'll be part of my kingdom. They're going to come because they didn't have this false conception of who they are. They knew they needed something. So they came and they got satisfied. And this is a picture of the kingdom. And I, w- I want to talk about that one more, but we're going to keep going through the meals and you'll see it all kind of come together to keep having this similar thing that Jesus is talking about. So now we're going to go to Luke 22. Starting, I'm going to start in verse 14, but this is the, a very important meal, and we'll talk about it or see it interacted more at the end. This is the Last Supper, all right? The Last Supper in Luke 22. And in this, Jesus announces a new covenant will come where all nations can be saved, right? And he makes clear that he is the Messiah, fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies that were talked about. And then he characterizes this kingdom again that he's talking about as those who live as servants. So I'm going to start in verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have early, or eagerly, I wrote that wrong, eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he said to him, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Or he says, do this in remembrance of me in Matthew. This one he says, which I poured out for you. So he's speaking about the sacrifice Jesus made. And then, I'm going to skip down a little bit, but Jesus mentions someone's going to betray him, and they start arguing amongst each other, like, who's the greatest? Who's going to be betrayed? Which one of us is better? And then Jesus says this in verse 27. He says, for who is greater, the one who is at the table who is, or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I'm among you as one that serves. So Jesus is announcing some big things that the disciples don't get yet. This new covenant, right? That it's not just the Jews who are saved, but everybody can come into this kingdom through faith and repentance, right? This is a new covenant. And he's the Messiah they've been looking for. And then as they're arguing, he's saying, my kingdom's different, right? It's made up of servants, not people getting served. And now I want to go to the last occurrence of a meal. And if you zoned out on me this whole time, I need you right here, all right? Because this, I believe, is the most important meal out of the eight. And it's the last one we see in the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke 24. Luke 24. And I, everything you've heard about, I just want you to hear the story, all right? Don't put all the other things you've heard about it in it, uh, even if they're, they're true and good. Just hear the story for a second, all right? So we just read the Last Supper. And since the Last Supper, Jesus has been captured, tried, and crucified. He's dead right? He just talked about fulfilling the scriptures, that he's the Messiah, that all these Old Testament things are coming true, and 
he's dead. His disciples don't get it. Nobody gets it, right? All hope is lost for the people who are following Jesus. But y'all know what happened, right? Jesus didn't stay dead for long. He doesn't like to do that, right? So I want to pick this up, Luke 24, verse 13, and let's see what happens. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up with them and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus rolls up, but they think he's just another dude walking with them. And this is Jesus. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And where'd it go? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened in these days? And Jesus like, no, what things? What happened? And he says, about Jesus and Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to this tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. So these guys, their hope was in Jesus, that he's this Messiah coming, Israel's going to be back on top, Rome's going to get messed up. And they had this different vision of what was coming. And you're like, well, he's dead now, so I guess that's the wrong dude. And then Jesus, Jesus does something very interesting with them. Jesus responds this way. He says to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these sayings to enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what the scriptures said concerning himself. So imagine this. We always miss this part. And I just got this last week, actually. I didn't even see it um, through another sermon, actually. That he just explained the entire scriptures to these guys. The entire Old Testament, how it pointed to Christ. Now, they still don't know this is Jesus. But imagine getting the scriptures explained to you by God himself. Like, hey, this is what's actually happening. Like, this was already foretold that I was going to suffer. These things are going to happen. So these guys have an amazing time hearing all this scripture, right? But they still don't recognize Jesus. So they're continuing walking. Actually, well, yeah, they're continuing walking. But, yeah, he's explained the scriptures. They explain so all these scriptures, like Isaiah 61, which he read, is my mission. Micah 4 and 5, Malachi 4, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 53, all these scriptures that we know talk about Christ, they're fulfilled, he says. Like, these things happened. I did them. But he doesn't say I did them. He just talks about, like, this, this Messiah did these things. So they still don't recognize him. And in verse 28, it says, As they approached the village to which they're going, which is Emmaus, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. And they're like, you know, hold up, wait, it's, it's getting late. So they say, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. You see, there's an act of hospitality. He just got invited in. They don't really know him, right? They don't know Jesus yet. They think he's just a stranger walking with us on the road, and we explain things. And dude's genius with scripture, but we don't know who he is. So they invite him in, and they still don't know it's Jesus. So then when he was at the table with them, listen to this, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And then watch what happens. Then their eyes were opened, 
And they recognized him, and then he disappeared before the sight. Like, wow, that's cool. We just figured out Jesus, now he's gone. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked to him on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. And they got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It's true, the Lord is risen, and he has appeared to Simon. And then the two told them what had happened on their way and how Jesus was recognized by them when the bread was broken. I mean, there's no, no better way to end these stories. Jesus is risen, right? He's king, and they recognize him. But let's talk about this story a little bit more. Why do you think Jesus did not reveal himself on the road? Why didn't he reveal himself on the road? They're walking this whole time together. He explains the entire scripture to them, and he still doesn't reveal that he's Jesus. Why didn't he just tell them? Right? Why didn't he say, hey, it's Jesus? Why didn't he do that? But what he does instead is he reveals himself when they slowed down. There was hospitality practice. They slowed down and they sat with each other, and he revealed himself over the breaking of bread. And they find out this is Jesus, and he's alive. There's something powerful, and you think about all these stories. There's something powerful happens when life is slowed down, right? It's not the busyness of the road. When life is slowed down and you're just fellowshipping with each other over a meal. All these things are revealed. In all these stories, when people sat down with Jesus, there was salvation. People were healed. There was freedom. There was rebuke. I mean, the excluded became included, where they were invited into the people of God, when before they were shunned and they didn't have a chance to become part of the kingdom of God. And truths about the kingdom are revealed, and Jesus himself is even revealed when they're sitting down at a meal with him. And here's another interesting, I want to add this. It's, it's a little bit off, but it's, I heard this last week. Uh, one of the guys that I've been talking to us about, he preached last week on Luke 24. Um, and he mentioned this, and this is mind-blowing to me. You notice that in this story, Jesus is the one breaking the bread. Now, in this society, right, the host breaks the bread. This isn't his place. He got invited in, right? He's actually supposed to be the guest. But he ends up breaking the bread. So Jesus turns from, from being a guest to the host. And, and he presented it this way. He's like, we always talk about, like, invite Jesus into your life. Do these things. But it's like, no, you can't invite him in your life. Jesus is the host the whole time. He's inviting you in. He's inviting you to come part of this kingdom, not the other way around. We don't have that power, right? He comes in and he becomes the host. He's not the guest. And he does the same thing here. It's a really interesting thing. But when we look at all these meals together, I, I see two things they tell us, or really two different people groups, one point for each. And one of those is for the unbeliever or those who haven't trusted their life with Christ or don't quite get this thing yet. Um, maybe considered the excluded and the other one is for the person who is the saint who's filled with the holy spirit and is god's choice to communicate his redemption plan through so first i want to talk to the holy spirit filled people those who have trusted jesus christ with their life and repented of their sins and jesus you know god is now using you right that's what the christian is supposed to be i want to talk to you first jesus continually seeks out the excluded one in these meals it's, it's almost repetitive how many times I said the poor, the blind, the crippled, this, that, all these people. He continually talks about the excluded once. He's either eating with the excluded or inviting them in, or he's rebuking the host for not doing the same thing, right? This other person who we don't, we don't really care about, he continues to talk about him. He continues to make 
clear that my kingdom's a little bit different. These people are included. And as a Christian, I feel like we've defined fellowship badly, right? When we talk about, oh, let's fellowship, we got our own little inner group, you know, that we have a good time with. Usually, you know, it's all Christians. Nothing wrong with that. That needs to happen. But that's what we consider the sole thing of fellowship, right? Christians hanging out, usually in a third-party place. Nobody likes to get into each other's homes. That gets weird, right? You don't want people up in your stuff. Like, nah, let's go hang out somewhere else. Let's go hang out at the church or something like that. Like, but not in your home or anything like that. But the gospel doesn't work this way. It's not this inner group of people that, you know, we got our stuff and, you're, you know, you don't fit. You're not part of us. But it's completely different. Jesus continues to say, invite in these excluded people. The gospel calls us who were the excluded, right? We were excluded from God because of our sin and our guilt and these things we were part of. But now we're included through Jesus. Jesus' death and resurrection allows us to become included. And what he's also doing, he's calling the Christians to go get the excluded and make them part of the people of God. And by what means is he doing that? Inviting them in to share a meal in your home. Now, I don't think that's just a minor thing. I think that's huge, that we're sharing our presence with those who are excluded, these unbelievers. And through those meals, they become part of the people of God. Salvation occurs, healing occurs, freedom occurs because there's genuine fellowship between somebody who was excluded become the person of God and then getting another excluded person to say, you come, come be part of this people too. You can be part of the kingdom, right? There's, no criteria. There's a criteria. You come in faith and believe. There's no criteria on you. You come in faith and repentance and you're part of this kingdom. Let God use you, right? So what if, what if the Christians took every meal they ate seriously, Right? We live in a busy society. We're just trying to get food. What if we took every meal we ate seriously and we took this gospel of hospitality seriously and we sought to eat with people that were excluded, that we invited not only our family and our friends and our rich neighbors to our house, but we invited the excluded person who we really, eh, I don't know about them, but we, we invited them over to our house. Or are we too worried about our time, our things, our space? I don't want anybody in my home like... This is my space, you know, and there, there's time to rest. You need to, there's wisdom and balance. But what if we took that seriously? Think about what would happen. Think about what happened with Jesus. People were free when they just slowed down, sat, and ate with him. And kingdom things were taught, healing occurred, and there was this genuine love and presence with each other. What if we took that seriously? Do our meals look more like Jesus' meals or more like the Pharisees he rebuked? What do our meals look like? There's so many opportunities. Three times a day we eat, right? Three times a day you have an opportunity to do some kingdom work just while you're eating. That's mind-blowing to me. And I, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how to practice in everyday life and not just be, oh, I got this other thing I got to go to. I'm rushed to this. But slowing down and eating with the excluded person. And maybe this excluded person for you is somebody of a different race or a different social class or just different interest or Something about them you really don't like. Like, oh, they're creepy. I don't want to eat with them. Things like that. Just these typical stereotypes we put in our mind. Who is that excluded person to you? And are you eating your meals with them? So you got a question. Are you willing to slow down and break bread with others? And are you willing to slow down and break bread with Jesus? Because powerful things happen when you slow down to spend time with those excluded people. And obviously, when you slow down to spend time with Jesus. 
So now I want to talk to the unbeliever or the excluded. Because if you're not trusting, if you haven't trusted Christ and repented of your sins, then you're excluded from the people of God. But you don't have to be. This Bible is a story of God's plan of redemption. Right? We like to say, you know, I've heard it a lot, and I don't think it's necessarily bad, the basic instructions before leaving earth. That's, I feel like that almost dumbs it down to like, this is the law book the Christians follow. That's far from true. This is the story of what God's doing in this world, right? What he did with Israel and what he's doing with us, that he has a plan to redeem his people through his people, right? He chooses his own creation to redeem others. That's why it's important. We're the ones that he wants inviting in the excluded, you know, out there preaching the good news, witnessing, those type of things. He chooses us. But to the unbeliever, you... All of us have been excluded. Every single person in the room has been excluded from God at one time or another. Either you are still now or you're included now through your faith and repentance. And now you're eating at the kingdom feast. But you have a choice, right? Jesus' sacrifice is just like, think back to that wedding, the wedding banquet he was talking about, where everything, there's all these people invited and they made excuses not to come. They thought they were there, but they made excuses. Jesus' sacrifice made the kingdom table ready. It's prepared. It's ready to come. You can come to it. Or are you going to be like those people and make an excuse not to come? you got something else better to do, and you don't want to come to the kingdom table. You can come and taste and see that the Lord is good, and you don't have to live in bondage to sin anymore. You can be free from guilt and the systems of evil, and that happens only at the table with Jesus. Only at the table with Jesus. Before Jesus ascended into heaven at the end of the Gospel of Luke, he told his disciples to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Right? The same thing he did to those maize guys. He explained the whole scripture to them. Right after that, he goes back to his disciples and does the same thing. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out, preach repentance from sins, and there'll be forgiveness. You turn from him and turn to me, there'll be forgiveness. And, and then he says, but wait, I want you to wait here for a little bit until you're clothed with power on high. And we find out in Acts 3, Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit is given. So Jesus is talking the same thing that right now the Holy Spirit is given to those including the people of God. So you have the same power to eat a meal like Jesus did. How he ate meals with people, they became freed, healed, part of the people of God. You have that same power because you've been clothed with power on high if you're including the people of God. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. And that's what he wanted the disciples to do, to go out and do the same thing. You, wanna, you need to be with people, right? Preach repentance for sins for forgiveness, and they'll come included. And you keep building this army, and we're going to take over the world. Right? We're going to take over the world. You just keep building on. Go grab those excluded people. They'll become included, and we have an army. See what I'm saying? This is huge. But if you're an unbeliever here today, you have an opportunity now to come and become included in the army of God. To be included around this table where true fellowship happens, where the presence of Jesus is, where there's freedom, there's healing, you have that opportunity today. And all it is is stop doing the stupid things that are hurting you anyhow. You already know that, right? It's never turned out good when you do stupid things. That's just how it is. Repent of your sins, come to faith in Jesus, and join us at the table. That's what I have to say to an unbeliever. And this is how I want to end it in transition and leave these opportunities for everybody, uh, for the Christian and the non-Christian, is what we're going to do is we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. All right. Well, well, some people call it the Eucharist, which just means Thanksgiving. 
right? And we call it the Lord's Supper here, right? And it's just like what happened in Luke 22. It's this remembrance that we have of that meal, that Jesus was sacrificed and then he rose again so that we could be included in the people of God. And that's what the Lord's Supper is. I don't want you to, some of us have treated it in ways where it's like, it is, it is a holy time. There is solemn things about it, but it's also a celebration. Like, hey, let's remember why we're even living, why we can be part of this kingdom, right? And this is supposed to be a remembrance of that. So we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, and while we're, first I want to I say a few things about the Lord's Supper before we do this, actually. Um, there is also, there's nothing magical about this. Like, this is grape juice, and then Jess made this stuff with me, like, last night. It's just bread. There's nothing magical about this, right? But there's something about remembering what has actually happened. And in the Bible, there is strong rebuke from Paul for those who are not part of the kingdom and decide they want to take part of the, the Lord's Supper. He said there's condemnation for those who take this in vain, who are just like, oh, I'm coming up, you know, taking this. It's the same people as people that thought they were included because they went to church, they did these things, they took the Lord's Supper, but that's not the key to it. It's faith and repentance. So if you come to Christ in faith and repentance, come join the table. And if you haven't come in faith and repentance, come to faith and repentance and then come to the table and join us. All right? That's clear instruction in the Bible. And I, I want us to all partake in that, that everybody has this common grace on them. Jesus died for the ungodly, which is all of us. Come and be a part of that. So we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper. The altar is going to be open during that and after that, but focus on the Lord's Supper here. All right? And we're remembering what Jesus did. listening to another episode of the sermon archives from william r horn make sure you subscribe rate review and check us out on youtube follow your boy on twitter at william r horn h-o-r-n-e and check us out at kingdom dreamer 